Shock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect upon the sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. For additional information, please return, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. Do you remember doing nothing? Sitting in waiting rooms? That kind of nothing? So unless you're the kind of guy who brings a book to get an oil change, table magazines were all people had. Those who didn't think ahead and break, to bring a book otherwise. The magazines were 1D4 plus one years old, and, you know, they're magazines. If you're lucky, you could find a Highlights for Children mag, which is always hilarious, but people look at you weird for laughing at a children's magazine. When, you, when they all know you have the best magazine in the waiting room, and they perhaps presume, presume you are a perv because you don't give a shit about what shade of lipstick is in that year. Even when Maxim started breaking into the scene, you wouldn't seen Maxim in any waiting room because pubescent boys would tear it apart within one or two visits. Sometimes you'll be knee-deep in actually an interesting article, and someone tries to have a conversation with you, probably because they couldn't read, and this wasn't the era where there are TVs on and see, with CNN everywhere in every waiting room or an internet in everyone's pocket. So you respect them enough to engage them verbally. How many kids you got, you might say, ignoring the relevance of Jiffy Lube. Sometimes the waiting room is empty, and there's no highlights or even Sunday cartoon pages. And you'd have to sit there, alone, with your thoughts. No cell phones, no pagers, hell, I remember those days. No TV in the waiting room, just alone with your thoughts. When was the last time you were alone with your thoughts? I highly recommend you take some time for that. Hello and welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. I am your host, the Madman. And I want to remind you to go over to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio and become a patron. Help support us here over, over, over at patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio. Or if you have the cash app, you can cash tag shockmonkeyradio. Send that to me there if you like. You can also follow me on all my social media. Which, which direction is it? This way. <laughs> on my social media. Over here, I don't really care so much about Twitter, but uh, you also got the Shock Monkey Radio Redux on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram at slrobbins13 on Instagram. Also, I have books available for digital download over on Amazon.com. Search for the author Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's. Uh, I got the Exit 13 series. There's three of them up there, and I got the uh, uh, the Ravings of a Madman. It's very similar to my shoe. And I have The Bunny Years, a memoir. Go check them out. I would appreciate it. Appreciate your support in any way. Also, we have this uh, YouTube channel, if you're hopefully you're watching on YouTube right now. But we stream live every, every uh, Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern uh, here on FXBG Public Radio. And so we're also we're live on uh, the YouTube page, Shock, Shock Monkey Radio YouTube page, and on the FXBG Public Radio watch page. So you can catch us both there. It's just just between you and me, the better quality videos on my YouTube page, okay? It's true. EK says it's true. We designed it that way. <laughs> okay, so uh, and those of you who are listening as podcasts, uh, I'm sorry we haven't been getting out those podcasts in a more timely manner. I've been trying to get EK to, you know, be more timely in this regard. So I'm sorry, but if you do want, if you want to catch the newest stuff, we are always live at 6 p.m. on the YouTube channel. And so... uh We'll, we'll get those podcasts out to you. It's going to be three weeks before they, they even hear this. So, 
anyway, welcome to Shock Monkey Radio. So I want to talk about aggressive touching. All right. And people tend not to talk about this kind of touching a whole lot. And it bothers me because I don't like being touched. Now I'm talking about pinching, poking, tickling, and flicking. And for some reason, these forms of touching are somewhat as acceptable as handshakes and pats on the shoulder. When it comes to pinching, you pro- the probably first time encounter- you encountered that was in kindergarten when someone figured out how to do it before you did. But pinching doesn't really hit its stride until after puberty. Pinching butts, pinching nipples, and all that kind of stuff really breathes life into pinching. And then there's St. Patrick's Day, where it's, hor- it's a horrific free-for-all when it comes to pinching, but only for people who don't wear green. And who the hell came up with this rule? This rule that forces people like me to wear green as a matter of self-defense. You can't punch people for pinching you, or so I have been told. Reciprocal violence is not even allowed. Then again, that was a teacher that told me to do that. Let's move on to poking. Poking doesn't hurt the way that pinching does, but it's sure surprising. For a split, for a split second, as you're being poked, your mind thinks, I'm being stabbed! But then you realize it's just a poke and you have to settle for just being annoyed. Poking seems innocent, like the Pillsbury Doughboy and all that. But it's not. Poking fat people seems to be the most acceptable form of poking. But trust me, we hate it. Now, I could deal with people pointing their finger at me all day long. For For some reason, some people really hate that. I can even deal with somebody putting their finger in my face. And I don't care. I don't care. I'll just, I will never retaliate. But as soon as you poke me, poke me, (laughs) I just may beat you within an inch of your life if you've had your finger in my face for a while and we're probably hurling insults at the same time. Now, when it comes to tickling, that's a tricky one because it's disguised as friendly touching, but it's probably the most offensive and aggressive of these types of touching that I am talking about. First of all, you better have a long-standing relationship with someone you are trying to tickle or else you could be in trouble. Secondly, if they say stop, you stop. You better stop or you you, you are risking the entire relationship. And if you are wondering if you are close enough to me to tickle, the answer is no. No, you are not. Always no. Tickling is also tricky for the perpetrator because your victim is laughing. And it's hard to believe that somebody really wants you to stop when they're laughing uncontrollably. But you can never forget that the laughing and squirming from being tickled is an automatic response of the human physiology. So you're basically holding someone hostage in that state until they fight you off or you choose to stop. And believe me, I always opt for fight you off. As every person should, you tickle monsters. When it comes to flicking, at least flicking is honest about its aggression. It's designed for function, simple and elegant, to deliver maximum force over the smallest amount of area, and you quickly learn that ears are particularly vulnerable to this form of attack. EK, he's like, yeah, I got flicked in the head a lot. In the back of the hand, man, that hurt. See, a lot of people feel like I do in this regard. So I just remember that flicking is only for boogers or cigarettes. And just in case I am not being clear about this, keep your hands to yourself. Oh, tell me no lies and keep your hands to yourself. How did this happen? How 
did all this Afghanistan stuff happen? Well, there's an easy answer. You voted in too many Democrats. There seems to be very few Democrats who actually served in the military. There are some, God bless them, but generally the people who decided to drop everything and run out of Afghanistan are probably people that never served a day in their life. Civilians making military decisions results in this sort of, sort of stupidity. Sure, you can say that Biden made this decision against the will of his military leaders, and maybe he did, but I don't even trust the Joint Chiefs because they are officers, and officers are educated in secular colleges and taught all this activist critical race theory nonsense, and that results in General Milley saying that he's concerned about quote-unquote white rage in putting critical race theory books on, on the military reading list. reading list. Sorry, General, I know I was only an E5, but even I understand that this sort of stuff is not within the military's purview. It is not it is within the military's area of responsibility. And since Obama, presidents have been saying that we're leaving Afghanistan. So you've had many years to plan an organized and secure departure from Afghanistan. You also had plenty of time to ensure our military-grade weapons and vehicles do not fall into the hands of dangerous terrorist wingnuts. What exactly were you doing with your time, generals? Were you really more concerned with white rage inside of America where you know you cannot be legally deployed? Or the Islamo-fascists who want to kill everyone who isn't an inbred donkey fucker like them? Biden is a prime example of why people who have not served should not hold public office. And Millie is the reason why the officer class in the military needs to be scrapped. Sure, I know that limited duty officers and warrant officers are a different story. But no one should go straight from college to being an officer. Service guarantees citizenship. Education does not mean what it used to. So these soft, liberal college boys made the decisions that will result in thousands, thousands of lives in the next couple of years or so. Not just Americans who will die. I don't want anyone to die. So even if the objective was to get out, the generals have the responsibility to push back against the president, saying that we need more time or whatever, and bring the force of America's military to bear to ensure that all American civilians, weapons, equipment, and troops can get safely out of the country. Even if you agree with the president's call to get out, you have to push back and say we need more time to do it safely and securely. So, of course, I'm mad at Biden and these generals and admirals. But I know, I know deep within my blue and gold heart that there are plenty of people in the military who are trying to fight against all those awful orders. And they are probably being reprimanded or punished for trying to fight for what's right. All along the chain of command, there has to be somebody pushing it back against General Milley and people like him and the way that they should, uh, and the way that Milley himself should push back against the commander in chief. All this stuff really fires up the squid in me because the only reason I felt time, felt safe the entire time I was in the Navy was the understanding that if I fell off the ship, people would yell man overboard and point at me and the ship's boats would put underway and they would come and save me. And that was all the danger I really faced in the Navy. But for the private on the ground, he gripes to his sergeant that this evolution seems to be a little foobar. And sergeant just says, well, it's a you know, situation normal, all fucked up, snafu. All right? And then the sergeant goes to the L lieutenant 
And he says the whole squad thinks that these orders are dangerous and poorly planned. And then the LT tells his captain. The captain tells his major. The major tells the colonel. Colonel. And so on. And Private Pogue needs to know that his entire chain of command has got his back while he's focused downrange. So if you're concerned about white rage, consider my, my rage, General Milley. I know it doesn't mean much in such racist times as these, but I have nothing but white-hot rage for the college-educated jackholes that always end up causing the deaths of young soldiers, Marines, and sailors, and sometimes even times four or times five civilians. That blood is on your hands, too. Woo! That's a Paul Harvey pause, ladies and gentlemen. I think I understand why Paul Harvey did it. Because <laughs> sometimes it's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. So uh, I want to remind you that I'm a Christian. <laughs> uh, everyone has a complicated relationship with God, even atheists. That doesn't make any sense, madman, you might say. Atheists don't believe in God. Sure, <clears throat> But they can't prove God doesn't exist any more than I can prove that he does exist. So even rational atheists have to admit that there's a little bit of doubt in the back of their mind. Maybe they've seen things. And atheists who served in combat may have seen a guy shot nine times and not one round hit him. Every single one hit armor or a weapon or a belt buckle. And what I mean is that miracles happen every day. And although atheists may not see them as often as people like myself who look for them. I am sure that they have seen some miracles all the same. He rolled the car nine times and walked away without a scratch? Or perhaps, if I hadn't forgotten my lunch, I would have left the report I needed to turn in today. Miracles can be large or small, obviously. And for atheists, uh, <clears throat> for atheists who have seen a miracle can easily chalk it up to luck or chance chance or happenstance but that little seed of doubt in their mind grows a little bit but those who are only uh, but those are only the logical atheists i've met many more self-proclaimed atheists who were actually mad at god and their gripe is simple logical emotionally charged and by far the best argument against god why would god why would a loving god take my mother, take my brother, uh, give my brother cancer, let my sister roll the car nine times and die, cause things like tornadoes and train wrecks. And the truth is, I don't know. I just trust that God has a plan and that we are some part of that plan. It's not a great answer. I understand that. But we cannot even pretend to understand God. If you even want to consider that he exists. And I grew up in America with you, <coughs> I learned about the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus, and it broke my heart. And it's easy to compare God to that, saying that it's just one more lie to get people to behave. And even those who believe in God have the doubts just like those atheists do, because bad things happen to the faithful too. And no matter where you end up, end up on the God question, we all stop believing in Santa-like and Easter Bunny-like magic. So there is no soul. There is no heaven for the righteous or hell to punish the wicked. We're all just a human ant colony collecting resources before another ice age forces us underground again. But I find, that, I find such thoughts to be dismal and nihilistic. And nihilism is boring. 
like super boring, like the cure boring. And it saddens me that that must be what those people think every day. Come on, buck up. There's not one single atom of anything we interact with that was not forged within the heart of our sun. The golden ratio and the way that spiders build their webs, the baffling amount of different species of life on one single planet that we all started on in comparison to the rest of the known universe. Sunsets, French kisses, fresh snowfall, the perfectly grilled steak, cold beer on a hot day, fucking rock and roll. You can't tell me that it all means nothing. I see intelligent design all over the place. If you choose not to see it, even if you choose not to see it, fine. But my morality, but morality matters even if God doesn't exist. Helping a friend, saving a kid from running out into the street, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, sheltering the homeless, all these things matter regardless of the existence of God. Unless you're Hindu and you think that they're people are homeless or whatever because they couldn't get their lives together anyway reincarnation is a stupid idea i'd call i'd call reincarnation hell and if you still if you still can't believe in god i really don't know what else to tell you i wonder what joe rogan will say hey bro you ever tried dmt you ever tried dmt what are you a clown joe rogan (laughs) yes you are yes you are all right i got a little bit I want to talk about uh, like a freeform thing. I was thinking about my high school government teacher, my senior year of high school, Mr. Stapleford, Mr. Stapleford, Stable, Stableford, something like that. And uh, he was this, you know, so this was like 1994, 1995 school year. All right. And so uh, Mr. Stapleford, he was uh, not a flashy man, very humble, uh, super tall, you know, it's one of those guys that you know is like all his life. No, I don't play basketball. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, how tall are you? You know, it's, you, you never really meet tall people who like talking about how tall they are because that's all anyone talks to them about. Anyway, so, uh, but I think he did play like, like ball in school and stuff like that. Anyway, so, uh, uh, real humble guy, hippie like, uh, you know, long longer hair than most teachers, male teachers, and stuff like that. And you know, there's he had all these uh, he would keep markers and stuff for projects, you know, in these Phillies blunt boxes, and you know, we, the cabinet would be open all during class, and everyone's like, he's smoking blunts, man, he's smoking blunts. And uh, then there'd be these rumors about him. It was like somebody ran, uh, some student ran into him at a Grateful Dead concert and smoked a joint with him. <laughs> there was those kinds of rumors about him. But, I mean, uh, he was a real humble guy. You know, I liked him as a government teacher, and I liked him because his politics were very different from mine. And I respected the fact that he tried his best not to let on how his political opinion, his opinion, his uh, political leanings in my class. And I guess I'm just lucky that I was part of that generation in the mid 90s who actually got teachers who tried to keep politics out of their class. And you got to understand if you're teaching government or civics or anything like that, it's real hard. It's real hard to keep your own bias out of uh, things, especially when kids start asking questions, you know, um, because the way kids think, they're like, what if, you know, they give you crazy scenarios and you, and you got to think of an answer. Anyway, um, 
but he had a very different politics than I did. And I respected his, uh, his, uh, the way that he tried to avoid getting too, too much into it. Because people would talk about like, uh, like current events, obviously, in your government class. And they're like, well, what do you think we should do? And like, uh, I don't know. Mr. Stapleford, uh, I really don't want to. I don't really want to say what I think should be done, but uh, here's what I think is going to happen. You know? <laughs> and uh, I thought that was a very responsible of him as a government teacher. And uh, I really appreciated it because he knew. Um, he off, he um, Between classes, he would have a CD. He had a CD player on his desk, and he'd play, like, classic rock music, like Floyd and like Hendrix and uh, The Doors and CCR, like good stuff. And that's uh, that's how you end up talking with them. It's like, yeah, man, this is this is good music to have in between classes. And I'd be one of those kids that get there early because you know I didn't bring my I didn't have my Walkman. There's iPods weren't a thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, people had Discman, Discman back then. Anyway, so uh, uh, we'd come in there and we would start talking about music. Start talking about these different bands. Like, yeah, you know, he had very similar taste in music, but very different political views. And I never really got a bead on, uh, you know, his political views on everything or anything like that. But I just, I knew he, he leaned left. I knew he leaned left. But he taught us the government and uh, and it taught us to believe in the political process. And that is like, yes, you can have crazy, crazy rednecks like Scott Robbins here <laughs> in the class. But, I mean, even he has the right to speak his mind under the First Amendment, you know. All these, I mean, I think that that was, that was beautiful and responsible of him. And he's just, he's the old school, old school liberal that I miss, you know? Because, uh, I mean, it, it's kind of like Bill Maher. Uh, Bill Maher has always been one of my favorite liberals because he's so predictable. And I, I mean, he's, <laughs> he's real easy to read, you know? <laughs> and so uh, he, uh, and I would watch these shows like Politically Incorrect with my liberal friends. And this we would talk about these issues and have disagreements about them. And that's what I loved about that government class. That's what I loved about politics in the, in the 90s, you know, is that I, we associated closer together, you know. I had family members lost friends because they found – because they made a joke about Al Gore. They made a joke about Al Gore and they're like, oh, we're not talking to them ever again. Isn't that messed up? That's so messed up. It happens every day now. And it just frustrates me to no end. I loved Mr. Stapleford. I thought he was a fantastic government teacher because he tried, uh, he had the, uh, I mean, it's not only government, but it's ethics as well. You know, because it, they're kind of wrapped up in each other. And it's a, I mean, even though he, like, he was, I knew he was anti-draft. I knew he was anti-draft because we, uh, as a government teacher, it's his responsibility to tell all the males uh, you need to register for the selective service. And that, and that, you know, if that happens, you know, you could probably just, you know, burn your card or something. <laughs> that kind of guy. You burn the card, go to Canada, you know. <laughs> that was the kind of guy he was, you know. But, I mean, and, um, and I, when it comes to conscription, I have very similar views, and a lot of it shaped – you know, um, uh, a lot of it, my, a lot of my views on conscription and drafts and stuff like that is, is shaped by my time in that government class talking to him about selective service. 
and and uh, and uh, and all that. And it's it's like you know if if I had to go fight a war, I don't want a bunch of people who are drag kicking and screaming into it. You know, you you probably get killed real quick. And that that was a very true thing about the conscripts, especially in Vietnam. And you know, I think uh, Mr. Stapleford was just a little too young during the Vietnam era, and so it it. Uh, but I mean, it was very you know. Imagine being 14 when the Vietnam stuff's going on. That's probably how old he was, you know. You get all the good music, all the good drugs, you know. <laughs> all the healthy motherfuckers all fighting a war. And so, I mean, I think that was one of the greatest things about my uh, high school ed- high school education was, uh, was Mr. Stapleford because he was that kind of liberal that I have tons and tons of respect for. You know, and they just, people like him just seem very few and far between. And it reminds me of that uh, Crash Test Dummy song, you know, uh, Superman song. Um, you know, I don't think the world will see another man like him, you know. And even though he had different political views from me, I find that to be uh, lamentable. Absolutely. That's sad. And hopefully, hopefully liberals will come to their senses and be classically liberal, which is perfectly acceptable in my mind. You know, and just like, and just like how Bill Maher will start pushing back against the major culture that's, at, you know, in essence, in his corner. You know, God bless Bill Maher for pushing back against them. And I think Mr. Stapleford's the kind of guy that would push back against them too. You know, it was like because you know he grew up understanding what fascism was and that uh, this is fascist behavior. You know, and you get talking about a generation of people who haven't really seen fascism, and so it ends up bleeding into our own streets as some sort of teenage rage. Anyway, it's just the kind of conversation I would love to have with Mr. Stapleford. I don't even know. I should. I guess I should look him up or something. I did a cursory look on the internet forum. I couldn't. Couldn't really find anything. So if you're listening and you know, let me know. Mad, madman, email me at madman at fxbgpr.com. Anyway, enough of me reminiscing. Let's go ahead and get into the news worth knowing. All right, so you know we're talking about Afghanistan. Biggest story of the year. At least one year. So Taliban are committing house-to-house executions in Kabul after the U.S. exit as chilling audio demonstrates Afghans' fear. Uh, Horrifying audio of distant gunshots appears to confirm confirm reports of house-to-house execution executions as the Taliban asserts control of Kabul and, and Afghanistan after the U.S. military's departure on Monday evening. An Afghan man who worked with the Americans on the ground provided Fox News with a chilling audio featuring distant gunshots. Quote, I think there is a conflict between, uh, between the Taliban. I have no idea where I'm located. From everywhere I hear the sounds of shooting gunfire, I have no idea how to leave, the Afghan man said in the audio clip recorded around the time the final U.S. plane left Kabul. Distant gunshots rang in the background in the audio clip. Uh, Taliban militants uh, were carrying out house-to-house executions in Kabul after the U.S. departure, a senior U.S. source uh, told Fox News investigative journalist Laura Logan. President Biden did not deny a political report confirmed by Fox News that U.S. officials in Kabul gave the Taliban a list of American citizens, green card holders, and Afghan allies in an effort to grant them entry into the airport, which resulted in outrage from military officials behind the scenes. The president said, quote, there may have been such a list, 
but quote basically they just put all those afghans on a kill list one defense official told politico hours after the departure of u.s troops the official taliban twitter account celebrated the withdrawal the last american soldier left kabul airport at 9 p.m afghan time tonight and our country gained full independence thank thank god and blessings the taliban account tweeted <coughs> excuse me uh, retired army major general uh, vincent bowles told fox news that the taliban should not get too comfortable quote be careful what you ask for bowles said now we have to show that uh now they have to show they can maintain they can govern a nation and people and are and that's very that are very different than when they left power will the taliban go forward to the future or pull afghanistan back into the past the answer will be in their behavior behavior is believable end quote Last Wednesday, a former translator and for a high-ranking U.S. Army Ranger told Fox News that Taliban uh, had started executing allies of the U.S. in public in provinces away from the media attention in Kabul. So they're doing out, outside the cities, and yeah, quote, they are not doing they're not doing really bad stuff in Kabul right now because there's a lot of media focus there and media members there. That's where all the remaining media is. But they're already started public executions in other other provinces where a lot of media is, is not available for covering it, the interpreter said. What's more, in holding with this August 31st withdrawal deadline, President Biden appears to have broken uh, his promise to stay in Afghanistan until every American has been evacuated. Quote, we did not get everybody out we wanted to get out, Major Marine, uh, Marine Corps General Kenneth F. McKenzie Jr., commander of U.S. Central Command, admitted Monday evening. On August 18th, Biden had told NBC's New ABC News' George Stephanopoulos, that the U.S. military's objective in Afghanistan was to get everyone out, including Americans, Afghan allies, and their families. Uh, quote, that's what we're doing now. That's the path we're on. I think we'll get there, he said. I uh, went on to say, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay to get them out. Yet a senior State Department official told Fox News that a small, quote, small number of Americans remained in Afghanistan, putting the number at below 250. <sighs> You know, I ranted about this earlier, so I kind of don't have any more, more to say about this article. Um, it's a hot mess, to be sure, and uh, it's going to be the major news story for at least another month. It depends on how much uh, video or audio gets out of a, a Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, because that's what they're going to do. They're going to start controlling media. They're going to start controlling their internet access and all that stuff, Any. All that stuff that people had access to before, you forget about it. They're taking all control of it. You know, that's what they do. Anyway, let's go on to the next story. In the Ida aftermath, you know, pray for all those people dealing with the storm. I passed through there in the <sighs> the, the giant target that is <laughs> where hurricanes go. God, God, God help them. Those, uh, what do they call those? The floodplains? The floodplains? The Delta area, the Mississippi Delta area. Anyway, so Ida aftermath, Mississippi highway collapses, two killed, at least 10 injured. So two people were killed and 10, injured, 10, 10 others injured when their vehicles plunged into a deep hole where a highway collapsed after Hurricane Ida blew through Mississippi. Torrential rain may have caused the collapse, and the drivers may not have seen that the roadway in front of them had disappeared Monday night. Mississippi Highway Patrol, uh, what's that, Captain? See it, or Corporal CP? Is it Constable? I don't know. Cal Robertson said. 
Quote, some of these cars are stacked on top of each other. He said, oh, geez. Seven vehicles were involved, including a motorcycle. A crane was brought to lift them out of the holes. Out of the hole. Oh, my Lord. These pictures are awful. WDSU-TV reports that state troopers, emergency workers, and rescue teams responded to Highway 26 west of Lucidale. I hope I say that right. About 60 miles northeast of Abluxy to find both the east and westbound lanes collapsed. Wow. Robertson said the hole was around 50 to 60 feet long and 20 to 30 feet deep. Jeez Louise. The identities and conditions of those involved in the accident have not yet been released. Uh, more than eight inches of, of rain fell during Ida, according to the National Weather Service. Between 3,100 uh, and f- uh, 5,700 vehicles drive along the stretch of two-lane highway on an average day, according to Mississippi Department of Transportation data. Hurricane Ida blasted ashore Sunday as a Category store form, a storm, one of the most powerful to ever hit the U.S. mainland. It knocked out power from much of southern Louisiana and southern Mississippi, blowing roofs off buildings and reversing the flow of the Mississippi River. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> the, world, um, the world must seem it's coming, coming to an end down there. All right, and so, you know, pray for your people down there. I know there's lots of volunteer groups and stuff like that. I know FEMA is on top of it. I mean, I, I think that a lot of the people who um, – who are the the stars of the restoration and cleanup of uh, after Katrina? A lot of them are in like positions of where they should be. <laughs> they have to in positions uh, working for FEMA and stuff like that. So I think that you know, they got this under control as much as possible. The issue is like all the powers. Like a few weeks ago, I did that segment. God bless Willis, Willis Carrier. All right, and he, that's because of air conditioning. And that's that's going to be the issue for those people down there in that area is that it's that intense heat that comes after the storm is gone, you know. And they don't none, no air conditioners, no power. Oh, it's got to be awful. So I know you know if you you know, you know want you know, to donate your time, donate your money to help those people down there. I completely understand. I am way too poor to help anybody. I can barely help myself. So let's go on to this next news story. Uh, fathers of Marine killed in Kabul re- uh, blast blast rip Biden in Kabul Kabul blast rip Biden. Fox, come on now. Quote: He talked about his son more than my son. End quote. Two Gold Star fathers of U.S. Marines killed in the ISIS-K blinked uh, blast in Kabul amid President uh, Joe Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal lambasted the commander-in-chief for acting selfish in their interactions. Mark Schmitz, father of Missouri Marine Jared Schmitz, and Darren Hoover, father of Utah Marine Darren Taylor Hoover Jr., discussed their tragic and terrible losses in an interview with Hannity on Monday. Schmitz elected to meet with Biden while Hoover told uh, host Sean Hannity that, quote, he didn't want Biden anywhere near us. Damn. Schmidt said their meeting, however, was not was not pleasant, adding to that the president uh, reportedly spoke more about his own deceased son, uh, former Delaware State Attorney General Joseph Bo Biden III, than he did Jared, his son. The younger Biden, who died in 2015 at the age of 46, had served in Iraq with the U.S. Army and passed away from uh, glioblastoma, an aggressive form of brain cancer. Quote, initially, I wasn't going to meet him, Schmidt said. But then I felt I owed it to my son to at least have some words with him about how I felt, and it did go well. Jesus, I can't imagine having those thoughts. 
you got to meet the president. Should I meet the president? And it's kind of his fault. Could you imagine that? Do I owe it, owe it to my son to tell the president? Jesus, that's heavy, man. Anyway, quote, he talked a bit more about his own son than he did my son, and that did sit well with me. Hoover told Hannity uh, the reason behind this decision not to meet with Biden was manifested at Dover Air Force Base, Delaware, where the president and first lady were on hand to solemnly greet the caskets of 13 fallen American heroes over the weekend. All right, Biden was photographed checking. This is this is from basically talking about Hannity's show. Anyway, Biden was photographed checking his watch during the ceremony, which critics said showed a stark lack of empathy towards the grieving families. Hoover claimed the president looked down his watch not once, uh, but several times as his caskets were being offloaded. Uh, you were all so judgmental these days. Anyway, the <laughs> I mean, uh, quote, that didn't happen just once. It happened on every single one that came out in that of that airplane. It happened on every single one of them. They would release they would release a salute and he would look down at his watch at every last one. All thirteen he looked down at his watch, Hoover said. Quote, as a father, seeing that in the disrespect and hearing from his former leaders, one of uh, Taylor's master sergeant said that this was avoidable. Oof. Because that's that's what I was talking about with the chain of command. It's like all these people who knew this kid are gonna be talking to his father. That they left them over there. They had uh, they they had them over there and they let them down. We can't have that. It can't happen ever again, he said. Asked about why Hoover and his family declined to meet with Biden, the grieving father explained. Uh, we absolutely did not. We did not want to deal with him. We did not want him to be anywhere near us. We as a family decided that was the way it was going to be. Brass balls, my friend. The host then asked Schmitz if he saw Biden checking the time throughout the ceremony. Quote, yes, I did, he replied. I uh, leaned into my... My son's mother's ear, and I said, I swear to God, if he checks his watch one more time. And that was probably only four times in. I couldn't look at him anymore after that. Considering the time and why we were there, I found it one to be the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen. All right. Um, here's the thing about uh, people checking their watch. Uh, Biden checking his watch. Uh, you know, he in his mind, he probably thinks he only checked it once. You understand? When your brain isn't working like that, I, I, I feel sometimes you're kind of beating up on an old sick man. <laughs> it's hard to have a whole too much hatred against Biden. All right. Uh, and also, you know, the fact that he talked about his own son and is like losing the son he lost. That's kind of the way he can relate to the only way he can really relate to you. Because, yes, his son served in the army, but he wasn't lost in combat. He died of something else. You know, it's. You got, he's an old man, and it's like, I I don't know. It's Hannity, so, you know, it's going to be a little judgmental and stuff like that. I think that, you know, people check their watch, you know. I don't, when I, the first time I got a watch, I think the reason I wanted a wristwatch was because of church. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to know how much, much torture remained. All right. So, I mean, it was, I don't really, I don't have too much to blame uh, uh, Biden for, for checking his watch. But, it, you know, it wasn't my son that died. All right, and I can understand the 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 disrespect mattering, especially because your son was a Marine. You know, your sons were Marines. I get it. Anyway, I'm going to move on to this next story. Uh, Washington D.C. police are seeking an armed are seeking armed kidnappers behind a four day abduction and robbery spree. If you live in the Fredericksburg area, we are part of the Washington D.C. metro area, so. You know, you should be looking, for, find find this article, find these pictures, see if you can find these people. 
Police in Washington, D.C. are seeking the public's help in tracking down a group who are believed to have kidnapped five people at gunpoint in separate incidents over the course of four days. This must be like the worst fraternity ever. Uh, Washington, D.C.'s Metropolitan Police Department is seeking three to four suspects who approached each victim at gunpoint in the late night or early morning hours, forced them into vehicles, and ordered them to withdraw money at nearby ATM machines before letting them go. Crime Solvers of Washington, D.C. is offering a reward of as much as $10,000 for any information that leads police to their suspects. The first incident occurred around 10.30 p.m. August 24th, police said. The victim, whose age was not provided, was in the area of Corcoran Street Northwest, never been there, obviously, and 13th Street Northwest, when the suspects approached and one of them flashed a gun. The others, quote, forced the victim into a vehicle and and the group drove the person to multiple ATMs to withdraw funds from the victim's bank accounts, police said. And then they let the victim go and fled from the area. Excuse me. At approximately 11 p.m. Wednesday, a group of suspects kidnapped a different victim in a similar fashion. With one person showing a handgun, demanding the target get in the car, they allegedly fo- forced the victim out of the vehicle after getting uh, the person's bank account information and later withdrew money. Hours later, just before 1.15 a.m. on Thursday, the suspect flashed multiple handguns in the area of 14th and Allison Streets and attacked a victim who tried to get away, police said. They pulled him into a nearby vehicle and took his belongings and bank account information. They then allegedly took him to numerous ATM machines where they took money uh, from his accounts before ultimately, ultimately letting him go. Friday passed without incident, but the suspects carried out two gunpoint kidnapping robberies on Saturday. The attacks were very similar in nature to the previous incidents in which the suspects were abducted, abducted their victims at gunpoint, trans, transported them to the vehicle by vehicle to nearby ATMs, police said. They subsequently released the victims each time. Police have provided photographs of the videos for the suspects who were caught on camera during or around the times of the attacks. Police are asking anyone with information to call 202-727-9099 or send a text message to 50411. So absolutely keep an eye out for these guys. And like, you know, thank God these people were released, you know. But wow. You know, that's one of those I was thinking while I was reading that. It's like that's one of those articles that just always attracts my eye because if I were, I don't know, in, in perfect shape, if I'd followed my dreams of being a, a crime-fighting private, private, private eye <laughs> with a whip, you know, if I'd followed my dreams, it's like that'd be the kind of thing I would be looking for. I'd be driving around in my jackrabbit mobile hunting down a couple of people the, the four a group of four or five guys yeah that's why i need the smoke grenades i need the yeah stun grenades i need it all i need all the superhero gear and my whip my trusty whip anyway two more light stories before we end end the show all right so uh Dwayne the rock johnson reacts to his doppelganger cop quote stay safe brother and thank you for your service so Dwayne The Rock Johnson, apparently the nicest guy in the world, uh, reacted to a recent viral TikTok comparing him to a Morgan County, Alabama, Alabama sheriff's lieutenant named Eric Fields. The Jungle Cruise star took to Twitter on Monday, as was his typical charming and humble self. More in the middle, sir. Kissing The Rock's ass. What are you doing? Anyway, uh, quote, oh shit, wow, the 49-year-old wrote. Uh, 
quote, guy on the left is way cooler, he said in reference to Fields. Uh, he went on to say, stay safe, brother, and thank you for your service, the action star added. One day we'll drink at Terramina, Terramana, and I need to hear all your rock stories because I know you got them. Face with tears. Emojis? Emojis? The Rock used emojis. Ugh. I kind of don't want to do the story anymore. Anyway, it's a face with tears of joy, smiling face with horns, fisted hand and tumbler glass emojis. Hashtag Eric Fields. <laughs> oh, The Rock. Why'd you do it? Anyway. Uh, meanwhile, Fields shared an interview with a Fox affiliate WBRC. Quote, it's always been a running joke of people saying I resemble The Rock or Vin Diesel. And I just go, <laughs> I think people see what they want to see, don't they? <laughs> if, the chick gets, if the chick wants to bang you because you look like Vin Diesel, you say, yeah, a lot of people say I look like Vin Diesel. <laughs> people, if the chick wants to bang you because you look like The Rock, you say, hey, yeah, a lot of people say I look like The Rock. <laughs> Depends on what head grease you that day i don't know what paul guys do anyway so uh he said uh his wife got a kick out of flattering the other flattering comparison to of course she does she loves it field says in a relaxed post uh posture with an ear-to-ear grin just like the fast and furious star but fields hasn't kept the newfound fame to fame to himself he's raising awareness for sergeant chris dillard a 26 year old law enforcement veteran and uh role model for many of the morgan county sheriff's department who was recently diagnosed with als Quote, to, to know Chris Dillard is like is to like him, Go, his, a GoFundMe post reads. He has a reputation of being an excellent officer, deputy, and is an even better man. His calming uh, sense and wise words are welcome in any conversation. However, it is his caring heart he shows for his team that stands out the most. He is, he's just a really good husband, father, and a great officer, Fields echoed. I had to pull him out of the field when, I had to pull him out of the field when he got diagnosed because he because uh, he wanted to continue to go out and work side by side with these guys. Ultimately, Fields said he wanted to use his looks to promote awareness for Dillard. Good for you. I was just thinking, I was praying, I was working out, and I said, what am I supposed to do with this? Fields explained in response to the TikTok, TikTok fame. The Dillard's Warriors GoFundMe has sought to raise money for Dillard's treatment over the coming months to alleviate the disease's effect and has collected nearly $8,000 of the desired $35,000 thus far. But as Fields pointed out, money is not the only resource that could help fight Dillard's condition. He noted, quote, I am I'm not saying we need a bunch of money, but prayers and support would mean everything. Absolutely. Good for you, sir. Just because you look like The Rock. I mean, how long have you looked like The Rock? And this hasn't made the news. You know, that's what I mean. It's like Rock's been around a while. Yeah, I mean, you just or did you just shave your head one day? It's like, oh, my God, I look like a rock. <laughs> so, I mean. Uh, I think I think it's very cool of you to just like to use this celebrity f- for a good cause, you know. But the Rock using emojis, I don't know that that's kind of disappointing. Emojis. <sighs> what the hell language are my kids going to speak? Anyway, if I ever have any. Anyway, so I will talk about this uh, last story. It was like it was the first thing Ek talked about me, with me today. <laughs> So newlyweds create a $240 invoice to teach wedding no-shows RSVP etiquette. It's about integrity. Okay. <laughs> All right, get, get a load of this. All right, last-minute cancellations from wedding guests often lead brides and grooms with cash-burning uh, cash food waste. 
A newly married couple found a way to convey the fact that uh, with a gag invoice they shared with family and friends on social media, but they didn't realize their post would go viral and highlight a larger RSVP issue. Oh, the important things we deal with in America. Douglas and Deidre Simmons of Chicago, Illinois, got married at the uh, Royalton Negril Resort and Spa in Jamaica earlier this month. They began planning their big day in November of 2020 and reached out to their guests on four separate occasions on four separate occasions to confirm the final headcount, Douglas Simmons told Fox News. Simmons said four guests and their plus ones were no call, no shows, although they agreed they would be in attendance in attendance each time. Four times they asked them. Four times. The Simmons saw an opportunity where they could vent out their frustrations and teach a lesson about RSVP etiquette with a mock invoice. Simmons says that he and Deidre shared the, final, uh, shared the invoice on Facebook five days after the, their wedding, which was held on August 18th, 2021. Quote, don't be offended when I said this hashtag invoice to you, he captioned the post. I'm sending it via email and regular mail. <laughs> <laughs> a reception meal for uh, for two cost Simmons and his wife $240, which included appetizers, entrees, and premium bar. That means open bar. Why didn't you go? They asked you four times. Anyway, quote, everyone tells the bride and groom just to eat the cost and don't worry about it. Why is that okay? Simmons said in an interview with Fox News. He also questioned why potential critics might find it tacky or classless to share a joke uh, joke invoice rather than a no-call, no-show. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, okay, I'll, my opinion later. Quote, it's about integrity and being considerate, Simmons explained. In my opinion, it's time uh, for other people to hold others accountable. It's time for people to hold others accountable. While the invoice included a due date and payment methods, <laughs> Simmons clarified that he and his wife weren't actually seeking money from the guests who failed to show up. Yeah, it's just a joke. All right, some of the guests have apologized for not notifying the couple ahead of time and have even offered to pay. But Simmons said he and Deidre haven't taken them up on the offers. Quote, it wasn't about the money. It was about teaching a lesson, he said. Now they see it. It doesn't feel good when someone sends you a bill and you see a bill for something you said you were going to do. <laughs> In a follow-up post that Simmons said, uh, shared Thursday, uh, he said he received more than 200 messages from people who have appreciated the invoice. Others shared their own RSVP horror stories, Simmons said. Simmons says he and Deidre had 101 guests show up on their special day and appreciated each person who attended. They also appreciate the guests who let them know in advance that they couldn't make it. Ooh, there went shade still. Uh, quote, we had a fantastic time, Simmons said. It, it was a beautiful day. I'm glad. Uh, the Simmons viral invoice post is uh, causing a stir on social media and has been shared by comedian D.L. Hewley and many others. Thousands have chimed, since chimed in on where they stand on RSVP etiquette. They talked to you four times. Four different guests. They contacted you four times. You said verbally you would be there, but if you do not, you have, if you do not send the card back with the RSVP, sorry, I'm I'm sorry, bride. I'm sorry. You should have said if they didn't send the card back, if they just told you verbally, I don't think that can, that can count. There's a reason why there's documentation about this stuff. You mean there's a writing and interpretation. Yes, exactly. You get it in writing. That's the point of the RSVP. It's I promise I will be there. And I understand that they don't want any money. I get it. I totally get it. And it's just a little bit of public shaming is always good. Shame can be good for people. Okay? 
And these people are obviously super embarrassed because the people who did go to the wedding know who wasn't there, right? Because I'm sure the bride and the groom were complaining. It's like, there's going to be four, it's going to be eight meals left over. And, you know, they're still taking, you know, this money for the open bar because they expected, you know, four other people drinking all they want. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a series of bad incidents that somehow seemed to work itself out, you know. You know, it's uh, it's it's not how it, it's not you know what happens to you; it's how you react to it. You know what I mean? Anyway, good for those people. It's just a little happier story, and you know, add, adding some balance to those crazy, the crazy, crazy rants I did closer to the top of the hour. Anyway, so this has been Shock Monkey Radio. I'm your host, the Madman. I want to remind you to go over to Patreon.com/slash/ShockMonkeyRadio and become a patron. Help support us here. Uh, you can also send me cash through the Cash app. Use the cash tag Shock Monkey Radio. And i got to figure out how to point to these things. And there's a social media over here on, 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 on the thing, this side over here. And you can follow me over there. Oh, and you can email me at madman at fxbgpr.com, and I'll feature you in one of my uh, mailbag segments. I won't use your name unless you specifically ask me to. I would appreciate it. Also, you know, go buy my books. They're available for digital download on Amazon.com. Search for the author Scott L. Robbins with two T's and two B's. And I got the Exit 13 books. I got the Ravings of Madman. And I got the Bunny Years, a memoir. I would appreciate it very much. Uh, if you want to find me later, I'll prob prob probably be uh, I'll probably be gambling in the VIP section of the Four Kings Casino and Slots. Available for on Steam. Meet me there. Look for Shock Monkey Radio there as well. Anyway, so this has been Shock Monkey Radio. I'm your host, the Madman, and I love you.